In the fall each year we all congregate The mouth all gathered at the church of Hellgate The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God, a freshman Drunk and obnoxious, what Georgia faith Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday and that thing Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast. I'm Herschel Gurley, here as always with my co-host, Boss Dog. Boss, bark at the people. Welcome back, everyone. We're going to do our rapid recap of the dog's butt-whooping on the Tigers from Saturday night. Yeah, boy, I was all about that. And it was a butt-whipping, too. I mean, start to finish, they just wore them out. Um, yeah, so I guess, I mean, a lot of good stuff to talk about. So. Why don't we start there? I mean, dogs came out hot, I thought. They looked like they had a lot of energy. Um, I don't know if it was being at home or what, but or if it was just everybody talking so much smack about them all week, but they came out looking motivated and looking fired up. So, well, I mean, what did you, what did you think? It, it felt like it felt good from the start, didn't you think? Well, they definitely came out with a lot of energy. Stetson came out with a little bit too much energy on those first couple passes. They were a little, little too much mustard on them. Uh, that pass to Fitzpatrick, I think it was like he overthrew him. Um, I think it was on third down. He threw him over him by about four yards, but it would have been a huge completion. Um, but I mean, they came out on defense flying all over the place. I mean, just all game, they were flying all over the place on defense. Uh, once they settled down on offense, um, and I mean, it, you know, first start, so you expect that from Sesson. But once he settled in on, which was really the second drive, from then on out, he was spectacular, and the offense was spectacular. And, and really, going back to my point from why I picked Auburn to cover last week was I was my uncertainty with the offensive line, and especially the right side of the offensive line, and McClendon starting on the right side really solidified it. And I mean the. It was a completely different offensive line. They weren't shuffling players in and out. It was pretty much the starting five until midway through the third quarter when the game really wasn't in doubt at that point. Um, I think at that point, by that point, it was 24-6. They had just stopped them again, and then they got the ball back. I mean, they were still playing the you know first-team offense, but at that point, they put Condon in it, right tackle. But the offensive line was pretty, you know, stable the entire time. Nobody got hurt or anything like that. They weren't shuffling people. And the offensive line was just dominant pretty much the entire game. I mean, there was a couple plays where Auburn got blitzers through. But for the most part, the offensive line was just mauling people all day. I'm just going to keep beating this drum until somebody picks it up and dances with me on it. Tone setter straight out the gate. Kenny McIntosh just ripping one off to start the game. Like, heads up the right sideline, thought he might go all the way to the house. Every week, that kid touches the ball, and he makes plays. Like, I don't know, man. I like it. I thought, uh, I thought that was a good tone setter. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about the throw that Stetson made, which was that third down throw, was open, but... Fitz had that drop to play before that, which was a good ball. Uh, that probably would have been a first down. But, yeah, I agree with you. I, you know, the offensive line came out and really really moved some people. I thought the point of attack was a lot more aggressive and forceful and just seemed to be winning that all night. And, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought they looked really good. It also seemed like there was a plan to run the football and establish that and then play off of that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do think the luxury they had, too, was the D came out and pretty much set that tone in that first drive after the punt that Auburn was not going to move all night. I mean, Auburn just looked outclassed from the jump. And some of that's obviously talent. I mean, it, it just showed they just were not as talented as Georgia was all over the field. And, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, it was really never close at, at all. And um, it was fantastic. I, I just feel like we don't get a lot of games like that, right? Like, did that feel weird while you were watching? I was like, this doesn't happen to us. <laughs> No, no, it does not. I mean, I did get the same feeling, but it, you're right. It does not happen. It does not happen to us. And it always feels like every game, I mean, especially last season, that it was, you know, really up. The last time I felt like this was 2017 in a game. Not saying it's going to be like the 2017 season, but that's the last time I felt like a game. Like going back to like the Tennessee game, the Florida game from 2017, where the games were never really in doubt. You know, they were just, you know, butt whoopings from the start. Like this game, like really from the time Georgia went up 10 nothing. And then the very next drive, I think Auburn, yeah, Auburn went another three and out, or maybe they got one first down and then they went out like on the first play and then it was like four plays and a punt. And I mean, it was just, and then Georgia got the ball, went right back down the field and scored again. It was like, you know, I was like, all right, this is, you know, it was almost, I was, I was almost kind of like in shock because that's not how I expected the game to go in a good way. And I was in shock and I was just kind of like, holy crap, like I, I, this isn't, this isn't how this is supposed to, this isn't how this game is supposed to be going. This game is supposed to be tight. It's supposed to be, you know, it was supposed to be more like last year's game, even though we were up 21 nothing, it still didn't feel comfortable 21 nothing because we had all those three and outs, three and out, three and out, three and out. After three and out, we only had the three scoring drives really all game long. And Auburn was able to move the ball, but we, the defense shut him down out of the end zone. So it always felt like the game was you know, some, not in doubt, but closer than it actually was. You know what I mean? So, but this game, it never felt in doubt. And I mean, Kirby owns Gus and you can tell that, I mean, like we talked about last week, there's just, they do not like each other. And um, it, it is evident that they do not like each other at all. One of the things that struck me early, and we text a little bit about this, but it's second week in a row. They just pinned their ears back, and they were coming after the quarterback all night. And it was just like that last week against Arkansas. And I'm telling you, I got this feeling early on. I just, and I mean early on, like as the roster was being constructed and we were kind of envisioning what the defense would look like. The defensive backfield is finally to the point, talent-wise, scheme-wise, like scheme fits. Kirby's comfortable. Like, these are guys that he feels good about on the back end. And he's saying, look, boys, I'm going to leave y'all alone. Y'all are going to be by yourself. We're not going to be dropping guys back. He like, trusts them. Yeah, exactly. I, I legitimately think for the first time since he's been there, he really trusts them all over. And I'm going to tell you what, they sure did reward that faith on Saturday night. I mean, they balled out. Tyson Campbell had a phenomenal night Saturday night. Seth Williams had three catches. He was non-existent. Three catches, 37 yards or something like that, non-existent. Leading receiver for Auburn was Tank Bigsby, the running back. Yeah. And they were all little outlets. There were only two plays all night, and I texted you both times, and it was where Schwartz torched Daniels 
and got behind him by about three yards. And if Knicks was more accurate, they would have been scored. Yeah. Um, I texted you both both times. Like, why is Daniels guarding Schwartz? He's just Daniels is a physical corner. That's his mo. He he's a bump and run guy. He's not a speed guy. Stokes, that's that's Stokes' mo. Stokes, in my opinion, should have been guarding Schwartz. Um, I felt that both times, pretty much all games when Stokes or Campbell were on um, were on Schwartz. Schwartz was a non-factor and. Schwartz really is, he's either, he, he's, he's got two moves. He's a wide receiver screen and he makes a guy miss and he goes, or he's, you know, a, he's, um, just runs a deep, uh, you know, a fly route. Those are his only two, those are only, he, he has nothing else in my opinion. You know, Williams is the guy, like you said, I mean, Campbell just, you know, best game as a dog in my opinion for Campbell. And if he keeps playing like that, I think it was Emerson that tweeted that, we better, you know, enjoy it this year because he'll be playing on Sundays next season. I think the big thing for Tyson is he's healthy. I mean, what the freshman year he had the turf toe that he fought the whole year, and then last year he had what he had the shoulder issues. I mean, he just he hasn't been healthy, and the size and the talent was always there. And I think now, obviously, he's third year in the program, so uh, he's putting it all together and he's looked fantastic. And you put him on one side and you put. Stokes on the other side, and uh, the depth is just great. Again, if they can stay healthy, um, obviously they lose Richard in the what second quarter on the yeah, uh, the targeting call, which yeah. I made I made my feelings known about that on Twitter. I thought that was a a junk call. I mean, look, a bunch of guys tweeted this, and I get it. Like, yeah, I guess technically that is is the rule, but in no way was this a there was no malice there, right? Like he was making a football play and he made a good football play. I mean, it was an incomplete pass because of the hit. And like, dude, he didn't even, he didn't even lower the crown. Like it was a, I don't know, the whole thing just fires me. It was a shoulder to shoulder hit. And if the receiver's not falling down in that position, if the receiver's not falling down in that position, Richard never touches his, his head neck area. If the receiver's not basically going down to sit, the the, the, the there's it's not a targeting penalty. Well, I wonder too if his if his ear pad hadn't popped out, they would have called anything. Like, I think it just looked worse than it actually was. And when they slowed it down, I was like, well, they ought to they ought to overturn this on replay, just because I feel like there's got to be some judgment there, right? Where they go, all right, this isn't this wasn't the aim of the rule. Like, this isn't why they put it in. But whatever. I mean, I, that bothered me. The aim of the rule was the Smoke Monday yes. ejection earlier in the game on the hit on Kyrus. That was the, you know, that was the idea of the rule. That was, that was a huge, that was a huge loss for them too. I mean, he is the quarterback of their defense and to lose him early like that, I, they, they looked flat the rest of the night. I mean, I don't know how they would have looked. I, I obviously we, we will never know. Can't answer that, but. They were dead after that. I mean, they they looked super, super flat. Um, so that was obviously huge. But I, I, that was the right call. I mean, he that was crown to crown. So yeah. uh, crown to crown, lower the head. And I mean, and the perfect example is I showed both of those plays to my wife, who is a football novice, and tried to trying to explain to her how this is the same exact rule, and. It, I couldn't. I could. I could not justifiably, justifiably explain how this is the same rule. 
while we're watching the game. And it's just not possible. I texted you about it. It, it, dude, it was, for me, it was the Ray Drew Vandy 2013 targeting all over again. I, I just, and luckily it, it wasn't detrimental. Um, I mean, the game was, obviously wasn't, uh, it wasn't over at that point, but they were pretty well in control. And you just felt like Auburn just wasn't going to do much. I don't know. That offense. I mean, didn't we say this in the, the season preview? I said, who on, who on Auburn's offense are you going? Oh, man, they really scare me against our defense. I'm not saying they don't have guys. Like, dude, Seth Williams is a guy. Seth Williams is going to play in the NFL. Okay? Yeah. I'm just saying, if you have one guy, you telling me that Kirby Paul Smart can't game plan for that? Come on. Get out of here. And, like, I just think the Bo Nix thing, he, he's just not consistent. And he looked so flustered all night long. Like, there was a, I can't remember the down and distance, but I'm pretty sure it was a third down play. I'm pretty third and manageable. I don't know if it's third and four, third and five. And George brought heat or showed that they were going to bring heat. And did he bailed out before anybody was within, like, five yards of him? And oh. ended up. Was up, that the one that Herb Street pointed out? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure he, he said, basically like, drew the what pocket. He doing here. Yeah, like, he drew the pocket and was like, "There's no reason." Yeah. All he had to do was step. Like, Where's he going? Yeah, yeah, I remember that play. Yeah. So speaking on the rush, you know, uh, Jermaine Jermaine Johnson didn't play Saturday night. Apparently, he was a little bit dinged up, and they said he would have been available, but he didn't play. And I don't know if it if it was a byproduct. I assume it was, but. Adam Anderson got a ton of runs Saturday night, and he was the best player on the field, I thought, defensively. I mean, he caused so much havoc. He didn't finish and get, like, a a bunch of big gaudy numbers with the sacks and stuff, but he affected the game all night. And, you know, Bo Nix probably had dreams about number 19 going home, don't you think? That was his coming out party. I mean, that was his best game as a dog by far. and he was. He was all over the field. I mean, they kept referring to him as a third down specialist, and that's what I hate about national media that don't follow the team. It's like he's not really a pass rush specialist, third down specialist. He's just that's he doesn't he hasn't gotten that much playing time because he's gotten recruited over, unfortunately, because he hasn't bulked up the way that and his body hasn't developed the way that you know they probably hoped he would as when they recruited him as an eighteen year old. So he you know hasn't gotten that much playing time, but you know, as a pass rusher, he's he's excellent, um, and he's great as that blitzer, especially when they did that like muddled line where they had the what I call the Patriot rush, where they have just all the defensive linemen and uh, linebackers just standing up, and you have no idea who's coming. Yeah, um, yeah he's, I mean, he's one of those guys because he's so fast, you have no idea who's coming. Um, him and Nolan Smith are perfect for that. I think the way they've recruited on the defensive line makes that amoeba defense work. So, you know, they can stand up Jalen Carter in the middle and have him shift around, and they can stand up Trayvon Walker and have him move around. And I don't know, man, they they just got a lot of weapons to play with, and you can see they're having fun with it. The way they've schemed it the first two weeks, they just kind of know, like, our depth is ridiculous, and we've got some options here to really throw some different fronts at people. And speaking of different fronts, let's flip over to the offensive side of the ball. I, I need, need, need to talk about that jumbo package on the goal line with 
big number 99, Jordan Davis, <laughs> and the true freshman, Jalen Carter, who is an absolute freak. And I love that he wears 88. I need him to line up at tight end and catch a pass. I need that to happen. Like, I need air. I need that to happen. Like, I need the big fella to get a big man touchdown. I need it. But, dude, that hole, I think you could have. See, I want Jordan Davis with the big man touchdown. I'm good with that. I mean, I'm all about that. And if he can do a little refrigerator Perry dance in the end zone, I'm here for it, brother. I'm all about that. <laughs> There's nothing I enjoy more than the big fellas scoring. It's a fantastic thing. Like, you know there's nothing better in football than the big man getting the fumble, scoop, and score and the fat man fantasy touchdown. Like, it is the best thing on planet Earth. Like, yeah. all, all that body mass moving up and down, getting in that end zone, I'm, I'm all for it, brother. That is, that is the ballet I want to see, my friend. No, I, I, that, that's a great package. So, yeah, I, I like it. I'm, I like that they're doing it. And I think that uh, Zeus said after he scores touchdowns, he or like in the post game, he basically said he said they made it easy for me. He said I barely got touched. So I mean, Zeus had a great game as well. I mean, I, I don't know the stats were, but the the running stats were great. But I mean, Zeus had a great game, and I love the fact this is the first game where everybody everybody compared Zeus when he got recruited to Todd Gurley, the way that he's built. But this is the first game where I saw him running where he reminded me of Gurley the way that every way he finished a run, it took multiple people to bring him down, and he fell forward every single time. And that's how Todd always Todd always ran. Every single time he's falling forward for that extra yard. Because he's, you know, he's six feet tall, gets an extra gets gets an extra yard, gets an extra yard and a half just by running the way he falls forward and the way he pushes the pile. So I not saying that Auburn's defense what it what it was, but they still got a lot of talent, especially at that linebacking court with KJ Britt and Owen Papo. So, you know, it, it, there's talent there, and you know he basically ran through them all night, and so did James Cook as well. Before James Cook went out with injury, I think James Cook averaged over eight yards a carry. Um, and you know James Cook, you know, was running, you know, making pushing the pile as well, which for a smaller guy is pretty impressive. I thought that another interesting thing with the offense was um, there seemed to be a lot more intention on, I think, rotating carries and sharing carries. You know, a lot of guys with five guys had carries throughout the game and um, all looked good, I thought. I mean, there's that, that there may not be a ton of experience, per se, at that position, but I do think there's a, a depth of talent there. And I liked it. They're rolling him in and out. The thing I've also liked about Zeus is through the first two games is he's catching the ball out of the backfield, which I just think gives a really added element to his game. Cause I think you, you think about him and you think, Oh, he's going to be this, this bruising back and he's going to, you know, carry the rock and, and be the workhorse. But to have him be able to pop out and make some plays out of the backfield receiving is a big deal. I mean, he had that big catch that got him down to the two in the red zone. And I just think that's an added element that, that he brings. So I love seeing that. Um, well, I mean, dude, we've gotten 19 minutes into this and we haven't really talked about Stetson and that's probably an injustice to him because boy, they've just been a different team since he took over the offense. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's cooking with them, but they looked great. I mean, they looked so confident and ready. Saturday night, Kirby said something after the game I thought was interesting. He said, you know, he executed the game plan. And, you know, that's a simple statement, right? But 
the the offensive coaching staff obviously put together a plan to exploit that defense or ways they felt they could exploit that defense, and Stetson executed. And sometimes I, I, that's obviously not always the case, right? I think sometimes that the quarterback position guys either try to do too much or they miss their assignment or whatever it may be. Man, he just he looked like a, a well-oiled machine on Saturday night. I mean, dude, that that play that he made to Auburn brings the house essentially, and pockets busted quick, and he spins left and rolls out and makes that throw, running towards the sideline to hit Kiaris for the first down. I mean, dude, that was a big time play, and homie, that ball to George Pickens on the sideline for the touchdown was a dime. I mean, that was just, he. I mean, it was perfectly placed. He could not have handed it to him in a better position. Like, that was a beautiful ball. Um, the only one I thought he really missed real bad, other than the one we talked about earlier with the third, third down throw to Fitzpatrick going down the hash, um, was that end zone, the red zone play. Remember they were, what, they were on the two-yard line, they ran three straight pass plays, and on that second down play, I thought he had George for a touchdown if he if he puts it on the outside shoulder. He threw it inside. He kind of threw it on the inside, and he got knocked down. Yeah. I thought that was the only real bad miss, though. I, I thought otherwise, man, he played a, a real, real clean game. He has played, what, five quarters now, really? I mean, he really didn't play much in the fourth quarter, so I'm not going to count that one. So he played two quarters in the Arkansas game, and then, you know, th- basically three three quarters in the Auburn game. And really... The only bad play that I've seen Stetson make was the intentional grounding play. Mm-hmm. There, so that's what I mean. In five quarters of play this season, I've seen him make one bad play against SEC caliber against SEC defenses. So let's take that. Think about that for a second, and just think about last season. And we're not talking about missed passes per se; just actual. Bad play. We saw that often last year from Fromm, and for whatever reason, bad play calling, bad offensive line play, whatever the reason was, multiple times a game, and we were just like, we would look at each other or talk to each other, or text each other, and be like, what is going on? Because he didn't look like the same quarterback last year that he did the previous two years. And this is the most, this is the most stable the quarterback position has looked. Now, granted, it's only five quarters since 2018. So hopefully it continues. But through five through five through the five quarters of play, Dogs fans should be ecstatic through, about this. And should be ecstatic about the prospect that this could be something special. And he's just the confidence that exudes from this kid and the chip on his shoulder, man, I love it. And people like that, I mean, it's just I'm not a Baker Mayfield fan, but he's got a little bit of that moxie to him that Baker had when he was at Oklahoma. Not the like, not the like showboatmanship, but just that that's that confidence that that Baker had. And I mean, I'm 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 all for it, man. Yeah, I think Baker was like dripping with swag, right? Like, just had so much, yeah. so much of that in him, and fed off that and played off that. And I think Stetson has that assuredness that Baker had. I just don't think he's as flamboyant uh, about it, which is fine. Uh, who cares if the result's the same? Um, and, I mean, 
let's talk about him not playing at the end of the fourth quarter. Because, you know, instead of playing, he was enjoying the awesome game that he just put together, having just a nice big plug on the sideline. I mean, just a massive chaw to celebrate that big victory over the hated Auburn Tigers. And I texted you almost immediately and was like, I'm pretty sure Stetson has a huge dip in right now. And I, I guess it came out, somebody was at the game, or somebody tweeted that it, he like got a pouch of red man and put just a big wad of chaw in his mouth. And like I was happy about it when I thought he had a lip in, and then I find out that it was just straight chaw, and I, m- like my respect for him now is just off the charts. Like that boy's country has a turnip green, and I'm all about it. Like, I mean, could you, could you like cut, could you cut a Georgia quarterback out any better? Like that boy's just got, just got a a bag of red man in his back pocket. You know, I mean, God, that's just so good. I mean, I was laughing out loud. I was like, I need this to be true. Like, I hope to God that he's not just like trying to pick something out of his teeth. Like he had a snack at halftime or something. He's trying to get something out. Like it has got to be a chaw. I need this to be real. And like, I've tweeted this. And I'm just going to keep beating this drum until it actually happens. I need the boys at 7-6 to get me a Stetson shirt with just a, just a huge hog chaw in his mouth. Like, I need it to happen. I don't know what we're going to call it. Like, I don't know what we're going to call it. Victory chaws. I don't know. Something. we got to have some kind of phrase with it. But I will buy that T-shirt, like, tomorrow. It needs to happen. <laughs> that's just, that's just yeah, it. And that I goes mean, back I, to the confidence. I love it. And he- he just looks like he does not care. Or I'll tell you conversely, and then we can move off this. But I told you this. It just reminds me. It just makes me think about uh, Bertram Grover Weeks from the Sandlot coming to the carnival with the big chief. Yeah. Chaw, I've been saving it for a good time. Like <laughs> I, I need, I need some, I need some play on that. Like instead of the big chief, I need Stetson's face in it, and then on the top it says like "Go Dog." I don't know something good like that. I, but th- that's the shirt I'm working in my brain. I need seven six to make that happen for me. I mean, those boys do what they do. <laughs> they do it. They do it the best. I need to make that happen for me. So, anyways, that was fantastic. We can move on from that. But I just, I needed to talk about that. That has been that's that's brought me so much joy over the past forty eight hours that I, I hope it made everybody else joyful too. <laughs> That was that was that was just a small step inside my brain. So we can't talk about Stetson without uh, talking about uh, the chemistry that he's developed with Kiers. I mean, the, their connection on Saturday was just on point. Well, you know what I loved about that too is, and we had talked to Seth Emerson about this. Like, you could just kind of tell with the language throughout the off season that he was a guy that the coaching staff felt comfortable being in a leadership role. And I think Seth Emerson or, I don't know, somebody tweeted over the weekend that it's nice when a leadership guy actually steps up and, like, performs on the field, say, a la Nick Chubb or Sony Michelle or um, Lorenzo Carter or Devin Bellamy, right? I think that's the hope, is that the guy that you feel like is the leader or the appointed leader is also a stud on the field. And I couldn't help but thinking that there was... I don't want to say a parallel because they're different players, but didn't you feel like that was always what they wanted Tyler Simmons to be? He was this guy that they loved and they felt was dependable and he was always a captain, but he just couldn't do it, man. He just wasn't, 
he just wasn't a guy, right? He wasn't going to be a bell cow for you or somebody who was just going to go out and have a great game. He just wasn't. I mean, that just wasn't who he was. He was a contributor, good special teams player, good perimeter blocker as a wide receiver. But, but that was it, right? Just kind of a glue guy. And I thought it was great to see that with Kiaros because I think, A, if you are already a good leader, when you also show out on the field, it gives you some more stock to tell guys, like, hey, man, lock it up. Like, I'm one of the guys, and I'm doing all this. So, like, get, fall in line. Get behind me and watch me do this. Uh, I just think it gives you a lot more capital from a leadership perspective. So, uh, man, I thought that was awesome. And plus, huge stage, too, right? Like, we're talking prime time, Herb Street and Fowler in the booth, game day there during the day, 7.30 kick under the lights between the hedges, nine catches for 147. Come on, baby. I mean, that was that was awesome. Like, I was so happy for him. What a, what a huge, huge game. Yeah, I, he he played great. I, there was nothing. I, I don't know of anything else he could have done other than you know get in the end zone. I mean, really, that's the only thing he didn't do on. I mean, really, the only thing he didn't do on Saturday was get in the end zone. But he played great. I mean, you know, he was getting in there. I mean, he was sticking his nose in there on blocks. I mean, and it's only a matter of time. You know. A, Watching him return punts, he didn't have he didn't have very much very many chances. But anyway, he's fearless back there. He he will not he does not like to fair catch the ball, and I I think that that drives Kirby insane. But he's gonna he reminds me so much of McColl a couple years ago, where it, it feels like every time he touches the ball, he has a chance to take it to the house. And I feel like that he's gonna pop one sooner or later. I'm glad you brought the special teams because something's kind of been picking in my brain, but. I felt like all through 2019, and I never saw any kind of article about it or never saw any type of analytics put around it, and this could completely be out of my imagination. Um, I don't know. This is just a pure feel thing, something that you kind of get in your gut from watching the games throughout the year. I thought in 2019 they played with a ton of long fields, right? I, I don't think they had any type of you know, big-time playmaking, game-changing dynamic in the return game. So they were never in short fields from a return game deal. And Jake Camarda, for as good a year as he's had this year thus far, was very uneven last year. And so they were sometimes in some positions where the field just was not flipped in their favor. And I felt like that offense was dealing with a lot of a big yardage kind of situations to get themselves to a touchdown 75 80 85 yard fields they were having to traverse to to get to pay dirt um you know i they kind of had a school zone offense last year right low speed i mean they, they weren't they weren't built for the interstate so the, they didn't need all those miles between them and home and you know it, and again i could be imagining all that but through two games this year and you know Obviously, a lot can happen in the next eight games, but I feel like they've played with a lot shorter fields. I mean, the average starting field position in the first half against Arkansas was like the 44. And, I, man, I, dude, I felt like they were at the 50 like every drive last night or Saturday night in the first half. I'm sure they weren't, but that's how it felt. You know, it just felt like they were going downhill to start a lot. And as an offense, psychologically, it, I just think it makes it easier, right? So two points on that. Number one. I think that's a big deal and something to watch moving forward is the way the field is flipped in Georgia's favor. And then number two, if that continues to be a theme, Scott Cochran ought to get some credit for that, right? 
I mean, he is the guy that was brought in to run the special teams unit, and thus far, special teams has looked good. Um, and I know Kirby has said, look, this is all coaches are in on this, and we're all doing this, but he's supposed to be the captain of that ship, right? So I think the captain should get a little bit of credit for that. So I think that's a, that's a good sign, right? Because if he is contributing on the field as a coach, like you know he's going to contribute in living rooms and on recruiting trips, then, man, what a home run hire by Kirby. So I think that's something to note and kind of keep in your back pocket as we move forward and evaluate. I mean, I, have you seen that? Is that something you've, you've thought about, or am I being nuts on that? I mean, I've definitely noticed that it was that the field has been seemed shorter this year. I, I haven't really thought about it much in comparison to to last year per se. But I def, now that you say it, it definitely like last year. It almost felt like we were always like an an older model pickup truck on the interstate compared to now, where you know a brand new you know Chevy Silverado Ford F one fifty. Whereas you know we were like a nineteen ninety Ford Ranger last year. Like you know when you to use your comparison, like it's just. Always felt yeah. like we had to go, you know, we were traveling 50 and then 80 every every time. It was just awful, like, you know, five yards here, four yards there. It, but, you know, just the other night, it, I mean, it felt like every single play, even on the plays where we would get two yards, it felt like the next play we'd get 12. Whereas last year, it felt like we'd get three yards, then four yards, then seven yards, then two yards, then, you know, it never felt like anything ever evened out. You know what I mean? It felt like everything was, it's just slow and plodding down the field. This year it feels like there's, they're not huge explosive plays, but there's more of those medium 10 to 20 yard plays in there. Whereas last year it didn't feel like there was any of those. Um, And the field has been shorter. I mean, Arkansas, it felt like we were, you know, near midfield every single time, especially in the first half. And then in the first quarter, I think the average starting field position was R44 against Auburn um, because in, every time they got the ball, we kept backing them up the first, in the first quarter. They couldn't get a first down. Yeah, I just thought it was a big factor in both games, um, and I'm interested to see how it's going to be moving forward. So something to watch on that. Um, well, let's talk about Sanford really quick just because I did think there was some atmosphere there, man. Like, first off, I think they did a great job of setting it up. Like, all the pictures that you saw leading up to it, it was well done because they had the seat backs set up, which I think looks cool in general because you get the red seat backs and it kind of pops. But, um, dude, I thought the band sounded good because obviously it, was a, it wasn't the full band. It was like a percentage of the band that was there. I thought they sounded great. And uh, I, I don't know, man. I just thought the atmosphere sounded good. And multiple people commented on it after the game. Players. Just talking about how, you know, it sounded good. It sounded like it was full. And so that was great because it seemed like there was actually some home field advantage, which I just didn't really expect this year. Um, and I guess we can't really mention that without mentioning people who were, you know, trying to say that it was people weren't following the rules and all this crap, especially that dweeb Darren Rovell. Like, God, Darren Rovell. Is just a bigger turd on planet earth than Darren Ravel. Like, I mean, that guy, what a loser. So anyways, um, I thought they did a great job. And from, by all accounts from the folks who were in the stadium, the spacing was done really, really well. And everything was, um, kind of 
kept in line or in the concourses and everything. Just one of these things. I mean, no different than the world we live in, but you know, you get one moron on Twitter who spouts something out and then it takes off and it becomes this big deal. And it's just like, come on, like there's 25% capacity there. Everybody's spaced out. Give the operations team at Georgia athletic department credit for doing a good job and actually creating an atmosphere given those confines and those restraints, right? Like that's what I thought should have been. Exactly. That's what I thought should have been celebrated about it is that given the limitations, the operations staff did a phenomenal job and they should get credit for that. I mean, I don't know. So that kind of irritated me and I, I just don't want that narrative to get out of control. And I think there should be a voice and some volume given to, how good a job they did and how awesome it sounded and how fantastic it looked on national TV in a primetime game. I mean, uh, man, I just thought it was awesome. What, a, what an, another great representation of the University of and Georgia. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. What you just said right there is perfect example. How good it looked on a primetime national television stage. What is ESPN going to do? Take a shot from head on where, it's, where the stands look you know, socially distanced and half empty? Or are they going to take them from an angle where it makes everything look like it's more smushed together and, and fans are closer together? What looks better? I, let's be realistic. What looks better for television? Do, do, you, do the talking heads at ESPN are like, oh, let's per- make this purposely look like everybody's close together? No, that's not what they're doing. They want to make it look what's better for TV. And what looks better for TV? A full crowd. Not people sitting six feet apart, not people sit not people sitting, you know, you know, I, I think there there were several people who tweeted where they were literally sitting in their seats and they could sit their feet on the um the bleachers in front of them and then there were like three rows before the next people sitting in front of them at the seats. I I mean, that's what, ten feet at least in front of them, at least? there was plenty of social distancing, but of course, you know, like you said, one idiot on Twitter you know, says something who didn't actually see, wasn't there, goes based off of what he sees on TV and just, you know, is a talking head and tries to stir the pot. Honestly, I'm surprised it wasn't Danny Cano because you know how much he loves Georgia and how much he would just love to stir the pot. But, you know, FSU so in the toilet this year, I guess he's just kind of keeping his mouth shut. Well, so I, I don't want to mess up his name, but I'm almost positive that the senior AD of operations at Georgia I'm pretty sure his name is Josh Brooks. I hope I'm not messing that up. It's Josh right? Brooks. No, it's yeah. Josh Brooks. I, yeah. See, for me, the story should have been how Josh Brooks and his staff did an incredible job setting up that stadium to create an atmosphere and to allow a good section of Dogs fans to come in and enjoy a game day atmosphere. Like, that should have been the story, right? Um, stadium looked great. Fans had a great time. I saw countless pictures on Twitter of dogs fans and on Instagram at the ball game and everything looked great. You know, it wasn't like, I don't know, again, it's, it's all this, this narrative and we'll get spun. But for us, man, I just, I just want to stand on a chair and applaud Josh Brooks and his staff for the great job they did and the great job they've done uh, in the lead up to this, getting everything ready. So kudos to them. Uh, Thanks for giving the dogs a, a, a big, big advantage. And Oh, we can't talk about that and not talk about the turf staff, like the grounds folks, homie. Dooley Field was looking pristine 
It looked excellent. Could sleep on it. We could have. I would have. I mean, I vol- I volunteered as his tribute to help him work on it if they need some help. <laughs> I mean, look, HG and Boss ain't scared of no work. We'll be there. You ain't even got to pay us. I'll just donate my time. Gladly work on it. Gladly Darn work right. on it. Darn right. You put me on a mower. Put me to work, brother. I'll paint. Do I need to send him? Do I need to send him my resume from last year when I painted <laughs> the backyard? I had a, I had a mini Sanford in my backyard. I did that freehand almost. I mean, think what I could do with the stencils, brother. <laughs> just give me some spray paint and a stencil, and I'll go to work, homie. I mean, I'm so just there's saying. one other thing I want. One other thing I want to mention because did you see? The fans, it was two older gentlemen that were not wearing masks, but they were wearing dog collars as if they had just had, um, had just been neutered. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, I saw that on Twitter. They were, they were wearing, the two guys were wearing, that was great. They were wearing the cones of shame. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that was, that was good. I'm sorry. That was, I saw that after the game and I was like, uh, I just, I could not stop laughing. Yeah, so, them, just without throwing two poor boys wearing a cut. Those are somebody. Those are somebody's dads who probably those kids go to UGA and they're pro- those guys. Those kids are probably never going to live that down. So, kudos to those dads for embarrassing their children. Good job, Man, dads. Like, how do you think that materialized? Like, like who 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 had that conversation? Said this is a good idea. This is what we should do. Like, we're going to get a couple cones of shame. That, and that's what we're that gonna had wear. to be a conversation. That had to be a conversation over a lot of liquor. Oh, yeah. that Like a, an entire bottle of, I don't know, Crown, Scotch, Jim, uh, Jack, something. I don't know, man. There's that, no way that that, that was a sober conversation. That seemed more like an Evan Williams decision to me. That's probably accurate. Uh, yeah, I did see that. I thought that was funny. I, I think they got to roll with that now, though. I mean, I'm sorry, fellas, but if that's what you wore and they Georgia won, they came out and played like that. You boys got to wear the cones of shame for the rest of the year. Sorry, like you, sorry. you did it to yourself. I mean, yeah, hope it was comfortable. Oh, sure, sure, do hope it was because now you got to wear it at home now too. I'm just saying. I don't know. I'm gonna tell you oh, this. God. Yeah, that's yeah. Mm-hmm. That was funny. That was fun. That was a lot of funny stuff, man. I mean, it, it, I guess this is how it is when you when your team kind of coasts, you get to enjoy stuff like that. See, I would have looked right past that because I'd have been so stressed out in other years, man. I was I was living in high cotton. I was in the best mood. It was fantastic. <laughs> well, that's about all. I, that's about all I got, man. What you, you got anything else? Or are you good to go? No, I'm good, man. Uh, riding high. I mean, great I've, I've already got thoughts on. Them boys from up in Oxford, but I'm gonna reserve that for the preview episode. But just know that I got thoughts on it, and they're gonna be strong, to quite strong. Just be ready. Are, are we? Are we gonna? Are, are any of those thoughts gonna include uh, the the three and a half finger gentleman? Well, I it's it really has nothing to do with that. I mean, although mm-hmm. I did see. Well, let's talk about this real quick because this was funny. I did see a funny little meme. And it was like, it was like two women screaming in Tennessee gear. And it said, we have Cade Mays. And then the other side was Ugga. And it said, 
we have folding chairs. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Oh, it, made me, it made me chuckle. I thought it made it made light of the situation in a funny, funny way. So yeah, yeah. that made me laugh. But um, yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk about Tennessee uh, a little later. But yeah, I've got I've got some some feelings on that. The line did come out today, though. Yeah, dogs 14. are two, two touchdown favorites. Yeah. yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I've got some thoughts and opinions on that. So we'll uh, we'll cover all that. Um, I'm another guest picker this week, so that'll be good. Uh, how did Hudson do last week? Uh, five and five. Oh, good. So he's the clubhouse leader right now. Yep. I'm a steady four and six both weeks. You rebounded to six and four. Well, hey, I I could only go up, brother, because it was it was <laughs> so, embarrassing week one. I mean, I probably I probably could have had my two year old twins pick the ten game slate week one, and they would have fared better than their daddy did. So, yeah, uh, thank thank goodness that I was not the embarrassment week two that I was week one. So we're gonna try and keep that train rolling week three, brother. Um, all right, man. Well, we'll, uh, we'll talk soon and get everybody ready for Tennessee and uh great win for the boys on, on Saturday night and go dogs, sick them. Go dogs. Hey, George is better now.